This episode is brought to you by Red Shoes Incorporated and its podcast, Soul Source. Soul Source is a podcast made by women for women with a goal of educating and entertaining. For more info and to listen to the show, visit the link in the show notes. I'm David Kelso, and you're listening to APC Presents, where I showcase independent podcasters from Northeast Wisconsin. Today, I hopped on a call with news reporter turned podcaster Raquel Lamel. While I tried to do all the interviews for APC Presents in person, Raquel was less than two weeks away from giving birth to her first child, so we decided to go remote, understandably. And with maternity leave on the horizon, the podcast mic was left at work. But it does not hinder the conversation. Raquel gives us a peek behind the camera at local NBC26 and what it was like to win a freaking Emmy Award. While all of her skills easily transferred to the podcast realm, she opens up about overcoming the mental gap of going from recording in a broadcast studio to recording in her home kitchen. Raquel's podcast, Soul Source, focuses on stories by women for women and carries lots of influence from her days in journalism. After a year of releasing weekly episodes, Raquel offers some sage advice for all podcasters. Well, I have a hundred questions I didn't get to ask her, and her intro could go on for days. I'm pleased to present Raquel Lamel. So you've been a member of the APC from very early on. We sort of helped launch your podcast, but I sort of want to get a, an idea of who you are as a person. So can you sort of paint a quick picture of your story? Uh, how far back do you want me to go, David? <laughs> uh, I'm interested mostly in your the traditional broadcast recording, uh, things like that. And I have some more detailed questions. So if you just want to give us that, that broad overview, because I saw within when I sort of doing some research, you have a huge variety of things that you like to do. Oh, yeah. So so I guess I'll kind of start off with my like my career, how it yeah. got started, because that kind of um, kind of sets the stage for where I'm at now. So I uh, graduated high school from O'Connell Falls in 2009, and I knew while I was there that I was interested in broadcast. I was good at writing. I like to talk. And so I just kind of settled on journalism at that point as where I kind of wanted to target my energy. And I knew there were four TV stations, a bunch of radio stations, all of this right in my hometown in Green Bay, which is only like 45 minutes from O'Connell Falls. So I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go to UW-Green Bay. I'll have all the opportunities to intern and, and get a foot in the door in, in my hometown, which at that time I didn't realize was actually something that wasn't super common. Uh, a lot of people have to go to a smaller market, which I didn't know. So I just kind of came out of high school and went right to college at UW-Green Bay, started working at the college's TV station and radio station. And then after my freshman year of college, took an internship with NBC26, which is a local TV station in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I interned there for a summer while I was still working. I had two department store jobs. So I would work those during the day. I would work NBC in the evenings. And then I decided to uh, go back. You know, I had school started in the fall. And when I got back to school, I got a call that October from the news director. And there had just happened to be a part-time position open for a production assistant. And they were like, are you interested? And I was like, absolutely. And I took it. It was like, I think like eight or $9 an hour, four hours a night, five days a week, weekends, and like three weeknights after school. But I was like, hey, it's a foot in the door, right? So I started doing that, did that 
throughout my sophomore year, took another internship on top of working at the station my the summer after my sophomore year in college. That way, I could learn how to use the camera and how to film. I wanted to be a reporter, so I wanted to learn those skills. So yeah. I started doing some of that on my own. So it would be like 10 to 12 hour days for me working all day uh, as an intern for no pay and then working those goofy hours at night for my actual job. Or a job. little bit of something. Yes, a little bit of something. And so I did that and then gradually kind of worked my way up the ladder at the TV station. So a production assistant starts off like pushing around the studio cameras. From mm-hmm. there, I moved to editing shows. So I would actually edit shows on the weekends. So all of the, the stuff that you see them reading, all the video that shows up, that was me putting that in there. Then I learned how to use audio board and I was in the booth running microphones. From there, I would start to go out and start using a camera and go film what they, they call VOSATs or voiceovers and sound on tape. And so I would go out and just get small little stories and bring those back. And then I started reporting a little bit on the weekends. By the time I got to be a senior in college, I'd have stories that were a little lower in the newscast. I was still learning a lot. And I kind of got into reporting that way. That way. While I was doing that, I got a lot of feedback, a lot of information from the news director. There was lots of learning and growing. And mm-hmm. then I graduated and I signed my first contract with the TV station. So I had worked all these different positions within a TV station. I had a really good understanding of how it worked. And then I signed my first contract for $17,000 a year with a college degree <laughs> as, a, as a TV news reporter. So I did that three years. Then I signed a secondary contract three years later, went back up to what is a little bit more normal standard pay around here, which put me at about, I think I was like 26000 for the year, which is pretty wow. average for the reporters. And I did that and I stayed doing that for a couple of years. Got on the anchor desk, started to produce a little bit on the weekends. So I was doing that and then came across Red Shoes, which is where I am now. It's a public relations agency. I knew I wanted to make the switch out of TV at some point. I just thought it would be a little bit later in my career than it actually turned out to be. Yeah. I made the switch and got into PR, which came with better pay, better hours, (laughs) better everything. Sanity. Yeah. And, and I still got to work very closely with the media because my job right now is to pitch the media, to get them to come cover events. So I'm working very closely with a lot of the reporters that I already have a relationship with. And then I also understand a lot of what they want to do. While working at Red Shoes, I did pick up a little bit of experience at a local radio station. And I did sub in for them for a little bit for a little while at uh, WHBY in Appleton. Yeah. So I got a little bit of radio time too. So all of this, you know, helped me now with launching the podcast. I've been at Red Shoes. It's going to be four years in May. And a year ago, when the pandemic started in March of 2020, we launched our first podcast. It's called Soul Source. And it's a podcast that focuses on women's issues. It's made by women. It's for women. And it's very much about stories that are impacting women in the world they, they live in today. And so... I took a lot of my storytelling experience from being a reporter. And so the podcast is structured very similar to how, you know, interviews kind of go question and answer format, kind of like this. Mm -hmm. I took that audio, like all that audio experience I had from the boards at the radio station and working in TV and, and filming on the camera, like all of that behind the scenes stuff that I did before getting to be a reporter helped me in coming up with all of the equipment and all of the things that I needed to do this podcast. 
And that's kind of where we are now. <laughs> so that's me professionally. That's awesome. Uh, sort of catch up. There's a lot to unpack there, and hopefully we can do that <laughs> within the next little bit. I sort of want to get to the podcasting stuff a little bit later, and I would love to hear a little bit more about you. You I said that you were born in O'Connor Falls or grew up there, and sort of, so it wasn't too far away. But what, maybe besides career, what else sort of makes you keep staying here? So I came to the Fox Valley because of my husband. So I've, I've been to Appleton, right? Everybody knows where the mall is. So I was a teenage mm -hmm. girl. I would come down in Fox River Mall all the time. So that was like my extent of knowing Appleton and the Fox Valley for most of my upbringing growing up. I lived in Green Bay. I worked in Green Bay and I was very familiar with Green Bay because that's usually where we were. It was just closer to, you know, O'Connell Falls where I, you know, like you said, I had grown up. Mm -hmm. So what brought me down here was that he lived in Kakana. He did not want to come back up to Green Bay. I was very reluctant to um, move to the valley, but I was like, all right, fine. I knew I was taking a job down here. I was fully willing to commute back and forth, but he's like, no, 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 that's dumb. Don't do that. So <laughs> here I am. Um, I moved down to Kakana, which is, he had an apartment down there. I moved in with him. And then, well, four years ago, yeah, we uh, yeah. bought a house in downtown Appleton. Been here ever since. And our little family has been growing slowly, but surely yeah. started with a cat, then a Rottweiler, and now there's a baby on the way. So, um, <laughs> and you guys had your wedding a little less than a, a year ago now. Oh right? yeah. Oh man. I, I don't fool around. We've done all the big life events. I feel like in the middle of this pandemic, <laughs> Yeah. we, uh, we had a wedding in October. Very, very small. We did it in Wapaka because he is from Wausau and my family is from Green Bay. So it was like yeah. right in the middle. And we literally had our parents there as guests and a couple of really close friends. We did it outside at the Red Mill, if people know where that is. We were under the covered bridge and had our ceremony out there. Um, my husband's mother was actually our officiant. Oh, so cool. So it was just really small and intimate. And it was it was absolutely perfect for us. We didn't have like, you know, the big dance or anything like that. But we had a small restaurant and the chef actually closed down his restaurant it was just ours for the day so it was oh, awesome and we had the whole place so cool. to ourselves and just really really special day and that was actually where we made our baby announcement as well we told everybody we were expecting i was three oh. months pregnant on our wedding day so yeah that is awesome now you as we're recording this you're like two three weeks away from i am two weeks away from having a baby yep he will be here two weeks one way or another <laughs> That is awesome. Thank you for <laughs> for be willing to to take this call then. So yeah. So you've done a, a lot of reporting in the in the traditional sense from your uh, broadcast days. What was one of the most interesting stories you reported on? You mm, well, there's a there's a couple of big couple of big ones that I was a part of that usually stand out the most. So yeah. You know, like when all the Act 10 protests were going on, I was out at the Capitol for that. Those ones stick out in my mind just because of the environment that you're in and what you're seeing and the historical piece to all of that. I don't know if you remember, but there were people inside the Capitol that were you know, banging on drums, that were having sit-ins. There was, that was like a sea of people, just thousands of people all the way to the road. So I was there for that. I was there when Making a Murderer came out and all of the riots and things that happened, well, I guess they weren't riots, but protests that happened outside of the courthouse in Manitowoc. And when K 
Kathleen Zellner came and submitted the paperwork. I was waiting for that and speaking with Stephen Avery's family and reaching out to Brendan Dassey's family. And though that one is another big one that sticks out as a big story. So those are some of the, the big moments that I uh, definitely will never forget from my time reporting. And they were, it was cool. It was cool to be a part of history like that for sure. Yeah, but and I think that one that may stick out to you as well is your Emmy Award winning. What uh, was it like to win an Emmy? That was a team award. That was the first Emmy Award that NBC26 had ever won. And it was very cool to be a part of that team. What had happened was that was there were shootings down in Texas. And I think there were like five police officers mm-hmm. that had, had died in those shootings. Oh. We actually sent a team. It wasn't me. It was two other people, a photographer and a reporter at our station down to Texas. And they reported live and they took off. So show got done at 10. I think they left shortly after midnight and drove all night, all the next day, got down to Texas and were live in the shows at five, six and 10 that night. And then the rest of our show was localized here in Northeast Wisconsin with different pieces that were happening in relation to that shooting. We all had a localized story there and, our whole show, that's all it was about, was the shootings yeah. in Texas. And that was the, the show that was awarded the Emmy. Surely, I think, for just the effort that we put in. I mean, that was going yeah. way above and beyond what most of the local stations had done with that story. And it was really neat when we got called and found out we won that Emmy. I mean, being the first one in the station in its history, it was just the look on everybody's faces and the way that you feel. It's like, holy cow, we did this, you know? Yeah. So. That was really neat. And what part did you play in the team? I I was local here. I was actually out, I think I think it was at Life Fest, covering a story about like crowds oh. and police out there and how they were handling things to make sure that everything was staying kosher. So yeah. I was I was local. I didn't have to go down to Texas, but the team that did, I mean, they really knocked it out of the park. So you still got to be sort of those um follow-up stories, the side stories to sort of bolster that the other story on that, that same broadcast then. Yep. Awesome. So as I said uh, earlier, there's a lot of other stuff that you're interested in. I mean, just scrolling through your Instagram or your Facebook, you see that you, it varies from the Disney musical fan fanatic. I'm a huge Hamilton fan myself (laughs) to loving dogs, cats, and Krav Maga. Uh Uh-huh. What are like, how has the Valley sort of helped fuel those side hobbies and passions that you love to do? Well, I mean, cats and dogs, I just kind of came with getting older and having a place where I can have them getting out of an apartment. Yeah. We adopted a cat that his name is Piston. He is a tuxedo cat. He acts so much more like a dog though. And he, (laughs) so actually finding him was a funny story because we, uh, I was actually going for a kitten that was like a little Siamese kitten and I called the Humane Society and I told them I was interested. They're like, yeah, no problem. Come down. Literally. So I come after work. The Humane Society was in Green Bay. That's where this kitten was. So we drove up there to go get it. Literally, as I walk up to the desk to go get the kitten, the guy next to me was adopting that kitten. I was so <gasps> mad. And no. Christian, my husband, was there. And he felt so bad. He said, I <laughs> looked like a sad little puppy. I was just so, <laughs> like, mopey because, like, I this is what I was looking forward to all day, right? So yeah. then, you know, we walked around because they're like, oh, well, there's other cats for adoption, right? So we walked around and I'm looking at the other cats and none of them are really doing it for me. And they go, well, we have another store, the Pet Supplies Plus in Green Bay, works with the Green Bay Humane Society. And so they said, well, we have some cats there if you want to go check. 
And so on our way over there, I pulled up, you know, their website to see what they had. And we saw the picture of Piston and I went, oh, he's kind of cute. I had a black cat as a kitten. I was like, you know, he's all right. But I didn't really like I wasn't super excited about it. Then we got there and he was kind of like being all sleepy and sweet in his cage. And so we (laughs) took him out and Christian's like, well, let's just look at him, you know. And so we brought him in a room to try to play with him. And he was like, like crazy relaxed. Like I could do anything I wanted to this cat. He let me pet his stomach. He would purr all the time. And he just like wanted to play. And so we ended up adopting him and brought him home that night. (laughs) It was not at all the way we had planned, but that's how the whole pet situation started. And then we were on a waiting list for a dog. Christian wanted a Rottweiler really bad. And yeah. I had caved and said, okay, fine. And she is now, I'm so much more a dog person. Like I love the cat, but I am <laughs> such a dog person. So she is like my oh, best friend. Yeah. She's Kept you company turned... throughout yep. all, all the work at home. Oh my gosh. Both of them did. But yeah, she's been right by my side through the whole work at home thing. And she just turned three and she's a good puppy. So yeah, we got her. And then, oh, cool. yeah, that's, that's kind of the cat and dog story. And then as far as Crab Maga goes, yeah. this is actually... <laughs> So I don't know if people know what Krav Maga is. It's basically like an Israeli uh, martial arts, self-defense type of uh, thing, type of training, I guess. Martial arts, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I found out about it actually from the HR lady who worked at Red Shoes. Her name was Carol and her son took, so at the time that I started, the Krav Maga school was inside the karate school that her son attended. So She wanted to take the Krav Maga class. She was scared to go alone. I said, well, I'll go with you. Like, I'll try it out. And so we went together and that's how it started. And then I stuck with it for a while. And it's really kind of neat, the things that you learn. And the school that I went to is called Fortitude Krav Maga. They moved out of that location and they're in their own place now in downtown Nina. The husband and wife own it. It's Joel and Tamara Ellenbecker. They're fantastic. And the the whole school is very much like its own little community and you go through the training and there's belt tests that you have to take and, you know, you work hard to level up, but it's just really, really neat. And this might sound a little weird, but I'm kind of, I don't know if this will work or not, but I'm kind of hoping to use, so they teach you like, you know, the whole point of taking the test to get your belt level is to like wear you down. So like my last test was like a three and a half, almost four hour test. They really, really work you hard the first hour to get you tired. And then they start testing you on the things you need to know, hopefully when you're exhausted and you want to give up. The whole point being to continue pushing through and never stop. Right. Right. And so I'm hoping to use that mindset here as I'm about to have a baby. I'll be interested to see how, like, if if the two kind of tie together, because it's kind of like where I'm going mentally. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Don't give up. Keep on going. That's that's for sure. I don't have a kid myself, but I, I've only heard uh, stories from people and had lots of friends that have, have had kids. So the best of mm-hmm. best of luck to you with that. And I hope you don't have to use any of anything other than the mindset for raising a child, but uh, Krav Maga, <laughs> helpful to have nonetheless. So a couple more questions on this per- first part before we move on to talking a little bit more about Soul Source as a whole. Yeah. Let's talk about musicals. You've been to the PAC a few times. What got you interested in musicals? Oh, I was a music buff my whole life. It started, honestly, it started in preschool. Uh, We sat on the floor. We had the preschool teacher had like a keyboard she brought out on the floor. We're all in a circle, you know, a bunch of four-year-old kids. 
Yeah. And we were singing a song about a peanut on a railroad track and how it made peanut butter. <laughs> and um, I remember I watched her play the piano. I had so much fun singing that song. I came home that night and told my mom I wanted to play the piano. And so we started up piano lessons with my preschool teacher who didn't teach piano lessons, but she was teaching me on the side for a little while. And then I took piano through most of grade school. And that tied into choir for me because I really, really like choir was like, like that was almost a form of therapy for me in a way. Like that was like my release. I really liked that. And Mm -hmm. I did the solo ensemble thing. I was in our high school's first musical in 30 years. It was, it was just cool. And I follow that stuff all the way throughout. And I've always been into the musical scene. Like I love Grease. I think I've seen it 50 times or more. I can repeat every line. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I have a whole bunch of other musicals that I get into. I just really like, I have a deep appreciation for the art form and I know what it takes to pull one off. And I know it's a lot of hard work and it's just, plus it's just awesome and entertaining and all of that too. So yeah, the PAC, the Widener Center, I mean, any kind of a show like that, I am all for it. I've done, uh, there's there's been a couple of like ice capade shows where yeah. they, before Disney and ice came all the time, they used to have other shows that would come out to oh, the Brown County Arena. One of them was Grease at one point. Um, oh, and they would do ice shows. Well, I mean, when it came, <laughs> I went the one time. Okay. But I, uh, I really, really like that one is by far my favorite. So, yeah, oh, it's, awesome. it's just been something I've always had a passion for and always liked. And I mean, this last year with all of those shows being shut down, I mean, really kind of yeah. stunk and it was hard. And I was really happy when Hamilton, I wasn't able to make it to Hamilton when it came to oh. Appleton. But oh. when that came out on Disney Plus, I was yes. so excited. Like the night it came out, I was sitting down with a bowl of popcorn watching the whole show. It was great. On top of it. Hamilton is one of those that I have practically memorized, at least the first half, because <laughs> it's the better more singable half but the Lindsay will just like put on satisfied and i'll just pop off every single vocal part and she's like how do you do that i was like i listened to this musical like in full maybe 20 times before we actually saw it Mm -hmm. it's such a great musical from from top to bottom so such great artistry so i'm glad you got to see it at least if it was on disney plus yeah no it was it was awesome so i totally commend you for getting all those words though there's a lot some of those rap songs are they're intense (laughs) uh yeah yeah they are i wouldn't say okay maybe i'm over exaggerating but i can (laughs) sing the 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 king's song you'll be back from top to finish the other ones are just like i can only sing them with the song i can't like recall everything and just pull it out of my memory it's it's weird i'm i guess i'm just good at karaoke then That King song is the best one, though. That one, one, he was great. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast Fast Class. Lesson one was why podcasting. Lesson two, we're going to come up with a big idea for your show. Let's imagine you're at a bar, sitting at a campfire, or grabbing a cup of coffee with your best friend. What do you always talk about? What's that thing, that topic that always comes up? Start with this idea. Hold on to it loosely, though, and go search Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Are there others covering the same topic? If so, are they too serious, too funny, low quality, or any other number of adjectives? 
relatives, inevitably you're going to talk about the same thing as other people. But how can you bring a different perspective to it? For example, let's say you want to do a chat cast with your friends, talk about life, pop culture, and everything else in between. There are a million of those out there that are great for moms, but not for trying to build an audience. Instead, do something more focused, like a chat cast with the goal each week of coming up with a friendly prank on a budget. Remember, you can't rely on visual cues to get your ideas across. But what's your big idea? Let us know and watch the slower video version of this in the APC members Facebook group, link in the notes. Back to the show. We'll get into how you make a podcast, but what are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Like what ones inspired your own making of a podcast or that are totally left field and you just like to listen to for no reason? Oh, I, so when I first started doing research on podcasting, I listened to like a whole bunch of, of different ones, but I was really into Rachel Hollis at first. So I listened to her podcast, the rise podcast a lot. I like the, uh, what the fab podcast too. Um, I feel like we're kind of structured a little bit like that one. That one is a good one. Um, I, I'm a big Holderness family fan. So I would listen yeah. to them. And then of course I got, into as recently some pregnancy ones so like the informed pregnancy <laughs> podcast has been really nice actually there's been a lot of really good stories of just what happens to people so i've been listening to that one a lot and those are kind of some of the ones but to be honest with you before i started looking into and researching how to podcast i did not listen to podcasts i was oh, a really? broadcast girl so i uh was all yeah. about you know listening to the radio and i was one of those people i didn't even have serious xm or like you know, I had like the free Spotify, but I hardly ever used that. Like I pretty much listened yeah. to the radio for most of my life up until I started discovering podcasts and learning about them. Now I've gotten yeah. into that world a little bit more, but those are some of the ones that I do listen to. And it's kind of been yeah. a growing hobby ever since I started doing it myself. Yeah. I mean, that does like the, as the creator, you're always looking for inspiration and things like that. And if you're only in broadcast, why would you not listen to that? I think as the media sort of combines everything together and they're slowly converging into everything, it's going to be a little bit easier, I think, to, to transition. So you mentioned that you've had some sort of those inspirations for uh, the Soul Source podcast and that it, it, you had this huge plan in place, like everything uh, was going to be lined up perfectly and then COVID hit and you had to sort of redo everything. What was starting a podcast in a pandemic like scary <laughs> i uh so there were parts of the plan so we put together well i put together and then i had some of the team at red shoes kind of look it over and, and give me some mm. tweaks and feedback but it was like a 40 page plan like i had done some real extensive research and how to get this up and running and how we would launch it and what was successful what wasn't mm -hmm. and so i was like okay and then we set up a studio we got all this new equipment you know, we were, we were ready to go. And then, yeah, the office shut down and I'm like, okay. And I just thought, oh, we'll put some things on hold for a little bit. Well, I didn't know how long we'd be locked down. Well, <laughs> Lisa Cruz is the owner of Red Shoes and she, <laughs> she goes, we need to start now. And I'm like, what do you mean we need to start now? <laughs> like I'm at home. I don't have anything. <laughs> She's like, no, like now is the time we need to get this up and running. And I'm like, well, our plan says we need to do this. I was super paranoid to just start because you know, it's my name. It's my yeah. face tied to it. Like, I don't want this to not work, you know, all of that. And so I was really nervous, but I was like, okay, you know, we got to go, we got to go. Right. So mm -hmm. started lining up interviews, recorded 
the first two or three just from home, um, I would sit in my living room. I put like a USB, like the Soul Source logo on a USB, plug that into the back of my TV so that that would show up as like a screen. And then I would sit on a kitchen chair with my laptop on another kitchen chair on several pillows. So it was elevated. That was like, that was my studio. That's what I did the first two or three podcasts that we had. And so I learned a little bit more about what was going on with the pandemic and everything. And then we were able to, I was able to go into the studio at work and record for a little while. And so I did that. And eventually I was like, how long are we going to be shut down? You know, because it was like, I would be working at home all day. Then I would leave and go to the office for like an hour or two. Then I would leave and come back. I'm like, well, I can just, and then they would want something edited. And I was like, well, I gotta go back there to do it because audio is not the same. I'm like, how long are we going to be doing this? Because if we're going to be like this for a while, just bring everything home because all of our equipment is mobile and can be moved. So they're like, yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. I'm like, okay. So (laughs) brought the microphone. Yes. Yes. Brought the microphone and the board and the, the headphones and all that stuff home. And then started doing podcasts all the time on a regular basis from my kitchen table. So we recently launched a YouTube channel and you'll see in there, like my kitchen is my background in almost all of these podcasts because that's where I was and that's where everything was set up. And it felt, I was super reluctant to even start doing video because I was like, well, you know, like I I wanted it to come off as professional, right? I come from that background like you, David. So it was like, I wanted it to look that way. And I was like, well, my kitchen's my kitchen, right? Like, that's not mm-hmm. cool. And those Zoom backgrounds, I mean, as great as you try, they're just not, they're just not that great. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was it's trying to figure out like, screen. exactly. So I was like, well, how do I make this look good? And finally I just said, okay, like, this is what we're doing. And it actually has been working out really great and it's been fine. And it's actually pretty normal. People don't seem to mind that I'm in my kitchen, like, all these other people I'm talking to are kind of just like in their living room or wherever they're recording too. So yeah. I actually found out that it was normal. So starting a podcast in a pandemic was actually probably a good thing, but it yeah. was definitely scary to start. You've got everyone trapped at home, so they can't say no to when you ask for an interview. <laughs> exactly. And I think that might've helped us in getting some of our bigger guests. I mean, yeah. my fifth, my fifth episode was with Ginger Z, the chief meteorologist at ABC network. Like yeah. that's episode five. <laughs> I it was brand new, still trying to figure everything else out. And she was willing to do it because she was home. And she was yeah. like, well, yeah, I have time. And so she just sat down on her couch. And that's where she was while she was talking to me. So it was, it's kind of crazy how everything worked out and, and went that way. But I think that helps in getting guests. Yeah. Do you think having the home experience was beneficial to sort of building and growing your audience? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think everybody could kind of relate to that. And I think that that made everything a little more real. So yeah, I do think it kind of helped when people saw, just saw everybody just being real, right? Even like your big name celebrities, that's what they were doing. They were doing things from their home. So yeah, I think people appreciated that a little bit. I appreciate that you were saying that it was a little bit of a, there was like a gap to cross between like, oh, I come from this, the broadcast realm where like we have Everyone gets a microphone, everyone gets a broadcast ready camera, and there's so much moving parts within a, a studio. And then you're coming home and it, it and like, oh my gosh, people aren't gonna like this because they only like the news and the broadcasts. Then I think I mean with YouTube and everything else, it's proven that people just like authenticity and realness from everyone. Yeah, and that was something that 
I definitely learned throughout this because I mean, yeah, I, I have watched YouTube videos, right? I've seen people mm-hmm. who were in their home and thought nothing of it. It never phased me. But to get over that hump in my mind of like, okay, this is a show and it doesn't have to be on that professional like level, like it's okay. That was hard for me for a bit, for sure. So you said that you've, I mean, you have landed some really awesome and really unique subject matter and unique people that you can interview. How do you choose who to interview and what your subject matter is? I have the news on all day, every day while I'm working. So I'm just kind of like listening to it in the background. I get the paper delivered to my house. I'm very much in the realm of like what's happening in the news. And Mm. a lot of like the, the talk shows, like, like shows, honestly, like the view or uh, the talk or different ones like that. That's where I'll hear like little nuggets and I'll be like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder how we could localize that. Or we have a Facebook page too, that is called the soul source society. And I've had some guests actually request certain topics and want us to talk about certain things. So then I take that, I go, okay, like, here's this topic. Now I need to find an expert on this topic that has some national or international appeal, or it's just a little bigger than just super, super hyper local. So we yeah. try to have guests that are, are bigger because a podcast is international, right? So you want to mm-hmm. have people that are relevant to people all over the world, specifically the United States, but all over the world. So that's really what I do. And it's been kind of crazy to find out how many people you reach out to and actually say yes. And, and it surprised me because I thought like I would have needed to have, you know, like, you know, Oprah Winfrey starts a podcast. She's going to have like 10 million followers in two days. Right. Yeah. Like, so I was like, okay, like she just makes a phone call and she can get whoever she wants on her show. Nobody knows who I am. Right. So I didn't know how well it would work reaching out to these bigger people, but I'm like, well, let's give it a shot. It actually, it surprisingly works quite well. And people are usually willing to be guests and be on a show like that. So I've gotten braver and and reached out to some bigger people and have had even more luck as this grows and you start to build that credibility with others. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting uh, learning experience for sure. Why do you think that is? Well, I think part of it is, you know, with the pandemic and things have been a little slower, but then once you start, once you get one and then you get another, and every time you reach out to these people, you can send an email that says, I've spoken with this place, this place, and this person who are, you know, people that have clout have name reputability and people can look up your podcast and, and actually see those names and those organizations there, then I think people are more willing to say, okay, sure. Like I'll do it because if this person did it, that person will do it. And yeah, a prime example of that is I tried to get the Mayo Clinic to talk to me about something, I don't know, a couple months ago and they, uh, they turned me down and I was like, okay, and then I did an interview a little later with the CDC and I went back to the Mayo Clinic and said, hey, talk to the CDC about this topic. And I have this other topic. And would you be willing to talk to me? And then I got a yes. So I know that they built on each other because I didn't get a yes before, but I got a yes later. And then they've actually come back. Both of them have come back wanting to be guests again. So it's, it's interesting how it all builds together, but it yeah. works really well when, when you can do that. And it's all part of building credibility. That's awesome. So what would you tell a beginning podcaster that was maybe like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to reach out to people They're they're too big. What would you tell them? Man, just do it. Like I, like I said with Ginger Z, I mean, I didn't have anybody. I had just started. I had smaller people on the show that I knew would say yes, that I could get started with, you know, she said yes right away. So 
Uh, my suggestion is do it and find find every email that I send when I'm going, especially to a bigger organization or a person like that. The the theory that I use is always like, okay, a how is my show structured? Let them know like what they're going to walk into, and and b what are they going to get from it? And it was always you know we have international reach, we have you know listeners all over the globe, you know a thousand, several thousand, whatever it was at the time. And it was always like letting them know, like, here's what you get and you'll get these links and you can share them and promote this. And these links live on forever. And so it was a lot of like, almost like a sales pitch a little bit to get Mm -hmm. some of these people on here. But that strategy has worked really well for us. But I think that's great advice for someone that wants to do an interview show like you. How do you prepare for an interview? I do research. I start looking up topics or if... So every once in a while too. So it kind of takes two lanes. Either one, I'll do research if I'm coming up with the topic and I'm like, okay, I think this is really interesting. And then I start looking at, you know, articles and, and news stories and things that have been done on it and what this person specifically has done. And that's how I start finding guests is, mm-hmm. you know, how, how tied to this topic is this person? How expert are they? Right. And that's one way. The other way would be like if someone references. So every once in a while I'll have someone say, oh, well, you should talk to this person. And I'm like, okay, well, who is this person? And so I'll reach out to them and I'll do a little research on my own, but I'm still like, okay, what is the story with this person? Cause they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, this person's great. They have this really cool story, but I don't know them. And that's not online anywhere. So I will actually reach out to somebody then and I'll do what's called a pre-interview sometimes yeah. where I'll talk to the guest and I'll just kind of feel them out and find out what's going on and, and find a story through talking to them that way. So I've yeah. done a few things that way as well. So it usually takes one of those two paths. Yeah. So you really put on the pro- the pre-producer role as well as the host. Yep. And I, I, I have an editor who's helping me right now, but I also did the editing for the most part of the first year as well. So very cool. Um, yeah. yeah speaking was, of, it's about your first year anniversary of being the podcast host and having the sole source as a whole. So congratulations. That's like a huge thing, especially of being so consistent of one a week. Yeah, no, thank you, David. It's it's a big milestone for us. It was actually this week. It was Tuesday. Uh, what was that? The 23rd of March. Yeah. That was exactly one year that SoulSource has been around. And we have. We have not missed a single week. Every week since then, we've had a podcast come out. Sometimes we'll take a break and we'll, like, run some older shows and do a little bit of rerun. And, and if yeah. they're relevant, you know, we've done that. But we have not ever had a Monday go by that a show did not come out. That is awesome. You mentioned that you have a Facebook community and I remember you had, <laughs> you and I had talked about this because yep. you sort of are like, Hey, can I get some podcasting advice? And I said, sure, I'll do my best. And you asked me like, what do you think about Facebook group? And I was like, don't name your own group because I've, <laughs> and you did. And I've seen your group thrive and I'm like, all right, I was wrong. There it is. <laughs> but, I mean, I would say you were entirely wrong. I mean, we have a lot more regular listeners and subscribers on the show or in the YouTube channel than we do within the Facebook group. But I I get ideas. I do get ideas. I do. It's kind of a place where listeners will actually reach out to us if like they want to talk to somebody and we always make a point to respond. So that's what it's there for. It didn't grow as quickly or as big as I had hoped it would with the listeners that I saw on the back end of like actual podcasts. Right. So you might have been right about something there, but <laughs> it it has kind of been helpful. But the whole thing is like you're building a community around yeah. your show so you can have that listener feedback within the broadcast realm. 
it was probably more apt on radio than it was on like the news mm-hmm. where it's like, Hey, call in and give us your opinion or text in these days and give us your opinion. It's just one of the many on ramps to be engaging with your audience. Do you have any tips for sort of starting or building that community? Yeah. I mean, I think it is all about consistency. So keeping mm-hmm. a regular pace with, with posts of different things. And then also, you know, you got to switch it up. You can't always just be like, oh, it's Monday and this new episode came out. And then, oh, it's Monday a week later and this new episode came out. And we started off doing that and that does not work. But you you got to you gotta get a little more vulnerable with yourself as a host. You got to share some things. Like I've shared our wedding announcement. I've shared, you know, a baby on the way, things like that. I, I did a couple where I just, I think I was sitting on my porch swing and I was just talking about some stuff that we were going to be doing on the show. And just giving people that like behind the scenes glimpse, you got to give them something different than just what they hear all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important to keep it very conversational light. Like don't make it like a business page because mm. I mean, in, unless it's a business podcast, maybe then it would work, but otherwise yeah. I wouldn't make it like that because people are, you know, some of our early posts are very formal like that. And people were actually more like not willing to comment. I think they felt like it was a little yeah. too professional. And the more like loosey goosey I got with it, the more it got like <laughs> just very, you know, like people conversational. Were people were willing to add their thoughts and talk and, and realize like, oh, this isn't so bad. And I mean, we've pulled things like that. Like I, I've even posed debate questions on there just to see what would happen. One of them being like early on in the pandemic with the face masks. And I was like, yeah. are you for them? Or are you against them? I had like, I think 50 different people comment on that. And I was surprised people were so willing to be so open and honest about it and how they felt because it was kind of a hot button issue. I actually made a show out of that. I reached out to two people who had commented on both sides and they were like, yeah, no problem. And we did, it called it face mask face off. And we had two people who were like at odds sharing what they were doing and why I had people actually comment that they thought that was super interesting because they couldn't understand why one side was doing what they were doing and the other side and here they had both views. So yeah. it was, it's, it served a purpose in a lot of ways, you know, doing that. I find people are willing to, to share. I think I asked the vaccine question once too, and find out who was willing to get it and who wasn't. And same thing, you know, lots of people commenting. So it's been an interesting thing to play with for sure. I think that that like the face mask thing, it, that was one thing I wanted to commend you on was you bringing that traditional journalistic mindset to the podcasting realm helps you to sort of take an unbiased overarching look at something and not just being like, here's my opinion, deal with it, bro. Which I think is many podcasters. So I must commend you for that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I try really, really hard to keep my opinion out of it and just share the guest, whoever I'm talking to. I mean, that's who we're there to hear. So it's, it has definitely helped having that that reporter background because that's what I lean on a lot. So I want to make sure that I leave some time for you to discuss this because I know it's really important to you and Red Shoes as a whole. That Your tagline is by women for women. I don't necessarily know the best questions to ask for this, but <laughs> I hope that this one doesn't bleed with ignorance or anything like that. But why is it important to make content specifically for women? Well, I think it's important to make content specifically for women because... You know, just think about this interview we were going to do, David. You told me that a lot of the people that you have within the group, the co-op, are male. And a lot of the interviews you've done are male. And you wanted to have a female perspective. And I think that is the prime reason right there why it's important to make content for women. As much as women have made strides and have 
have grown within the world, women are still behind men in a lot of ways. It's still not 100% equal. I mean, a prime example of this goes right down to something as simple as, you know, I'm looking at this because I'm pregnant right now, but this is a great example of, you know, having a kid. You have a kid as a woman, if you are working and and you have a child at home, a lot of times you're faced with a lot of guilt, right? For not being home enough with your kid or not being devoted enough to work. You might get a pay cut at work. You might get passed over for a promotion because you have to leave to go get your kid from daycare, things like that. Where a guy, he doesn't have that same stigma in a lot of ways. A lot of times guys are able to work and do their job. And if they're leaving to go get their kid, well, they're super devoted. You know, they're a super devoted family man versus the mom being, well, you're just a mom with your kid and you don't do enough for your job. And so it's two very different ways of of looking at things. And I think making content for women that affects them and taking everyday things that even you're seeing on the news and showing women how like specifically this impacts you and your life, I think is really important. And I think we found a really good niche with that. Is there anything that you would say specifically to women podcasters that are like, oh, no one needs to hear my voice? Why is my opinion unique? Well, I think that that is the question you have to ask yourself before you start a podcast, right? I think that's everybody, but specifically women, you have to you have to have a niche and it has to be a very uh like niche niche. Like it's <laughs> got to be very specific. And once you figure out what that specific angle is and and why what you have to say to that specific group, then you can start a podcast. So I think that that question is really relevant to just anybody who's looking at starting a podcast because you can't, you, you don't want to just start and just start talking and be like, well, I'm a woman, so my voice matters. Like, yes, it matters, but you have to have something that you're saying to a specific group of people because like you said, there's millions of podcasts out on Apple, 400,000 active. That's still a ton of podcasts, right? So you've got you've to gotta find the group that you're going for specifically. Awesome. I think that's that's great advice. I think you've covered sort of answered some of the other podcast advice questions and things like that. But especially after having your your year of doing podcasting, looking back, what's been the biggest challenges and the biggest rewards for you? Hmm. Um, the biggest challenges, I think, honestly, the biggest challenges were like getting over my own personal fears. And by that, I mean, like, you know, like I talked about how reaching out to guests scared me a little bit. Starting in a pandemic, we've become more more niche focused as we've gone here. And we got even more drilled down specifically toward women. But I was a little scared to do that and alienate, alienate men completely because I was like, well, that's such a large portion of people. And I didn't want to come off as, again, the news mindset, but as biased or as leaving somebody out because I was like, well, I don't think that's right. And so a lot of these personal hurdles that I had put in place for myself, I think was the biggest challenges to overcome, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And then the most rewarding has been to see kind of letting go of those fears and, and, and seeing where it's gone and what it's turned into and what it continues to grow into. And the people that have been willing to, to be guests on our shows and have wanted to come back. That's, that's super rewarding to have, major organizations want to come back on your show because that shows that not only are you being, you know, unbiased and everything with what you're sharing, but it also shows that you have a show that has content that these, some of them government organizations view as, as 
good, relevant content that they, they want to be a part of. So to have, have that happen has been really, really special. It's been really neat to be do that and to see that grow in that way. Well, we're coming up on the, the, the very end of our recording time here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you for creating the co-op, David, because there's a lot of really good information in there. And being a new podcaster and just kind of like seeing what you guys do and what you guys put out there has been really, really helpful. And just not, it's a great like learning tool that you guys have made for people. So it's nice to be part of a community like that, to have you know the support from others and to just kind of learn and grow with you guys. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for the plug. <laughs> I have to ask, your other tagline is the stories you only hear here. Mm-hmm. Who came up with that? Mm, that was a, Honestly, that was a team thing. Uh, we came up with it kind of together. We all sat down and brainstormed and and that one kind of stuck because of the here, here thing, right? So I think after it, you say it every time, I always go like, here, here afterwards. And I'm like, <laughs> mm. Yeah, it just, it does roll off the tongue. So mm-hmm. awesome. Raquel, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll see you on the flip side. Sounds good, David. Thank you. Round of applause for Raquel Lamel. I'm happy to report that Raquel has loved the maternity leave she's been able to spend with her little man Corbin, but she is getting back in the podcast saddle as we speak with even more stories for women. So in celebration next week, right in this feed, you'll hear my favorite episode of Soul Source where Raquel interviews the first female president of Lakeland University, Beth Borgen, and they talk about breaking the glass and having it all. For links and other local places mentioned in this show, check the show notes. If you want help finding your podcast niche like Raquel suggests, head on over to appletonpodcast.com for community support and resources. Don't forget, you could win the sweet podcast bundle if you do. If you know someone in Northeast Wisconsin who wants to start a podcast, share the show with them. And if you've made it this far, please take a second to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser really wherever you can. I mean, seriously, print out a copy of your review and slap it on someone's windshield. It doesn't bother me. I'm David Kelso, your neighborly podcast nerd, and thanks for listening. This may not make it in the recording, but I remember it was cool that you had done the making a murderer stuff. You got kicked off Facebook because there is so many things going around about like who's got the information and you were somehow connected to it. So they're like, we're going to ban your account. I thought that was just the craziest thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, oh, I remember that. I was so mad. I'm still mad. That still makes me mad today. I don't know what happened. I, I had posted a picture of me being in. So making a murder two had come out and I was in like a small little screenshot. They had like a little five second clip of me out the courthouse. So I took a screenshot of it and I shared it on my post and was like, Hey guys, you should check out making a murderer too. Here's a snippet. I'm in a minute for a short piece. Right. And like the, Facebook shut me down and I, I tried <sighs> reaching out to them. I was calling them. I had a verified page, you know, with the little blue check mark, which is like yeah. really hard to get. And it was just like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I tried to get a hold of somebody. Nobody ever got back to me. I'll still get emails from my old account to, the email address that was tied to it saying like, Oh, this is like, this got posted or this happened. And I'm like, I can't even see my account. I, I had to make a whole new account. I lost everything that was uh, on there. I don't even know. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But I haven't shut you down now. So that's good. Not yet. Anyway. 